myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, my guest is comedian Chase Miska. Chase is a comic out of the Arkansas area, most notably Fort Smith. He's done mostly the Grove and Little Rock Looney Bins. He's just burgeoning out in the Arkansas scene, so it's really great to talk to him. In this episode, we talk about his comedy, being a dad, how he met his wife, and then we get into his fear of not being liked. It's a real interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get into the interview right now with Chase Miska. All right, my guest this week is comedian Chase Miska out of Fort Smith, Arkansas. Chase, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. How does your daughter feel about you, like, raiding her closet? Does she know? <laughs> she doesn't know. Uh, when she finds out, I think she'll appreciate it. As long as it has to do with comedy, she thinks it's yeah. cool. Okay, so uh, she's like... If it had to do with architecture, she'd be like, get out of that closet. How old is she? She's 13. Okay. Uh, yeah. I just want her to open the closet like without knowing you're in there and just just <laughs> see you and like freak out and <laughs> So For those listening, I'm currently in my daughter's closet because it has uh the least amount of echoes. It's best place to cry <laughs> is <laughs> is the best place to not be heard or seen from. So, yeah. So you're based out of Fort Smith, Arkansas. Now, how long have you been doing stand-up? I've been doing stand-up for two and a half years. Uh, one of those years was during a pandemic. Okay. So I, I'd say a year and a half. Okay. <laughs> Did you do a lot of Zoom shows during the pandemic? Were you one of the people that... No, no I had no interest in that. Um, I very much do comedy for me. And uh, I didn't get I wouldn't get anything out of that. Okay. Fair enough. I didn't like it either because I was like, I don't want to ruin. I feel I was always just afraid that it would ruin my timing and my like feet room feel like there's a when you do comedy, there's like a feeling you can get from a crowd like, OK, that's where, you know, you can kind of maybe pick up and go work with another material and it's authentic. It's you get laughs, you know, OK, you're doing well, you're getting, you know, I guess people are getting you. I just feel like in Zoom that you're not hearing those laughs and just going to nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't, I've had the same concern. So okay. I understand. So what has been the highlight of your stand-up career so far? Like what's been like the crown jewel so far of your comedy career that. Oh man. Uh, when Dusty Slade told me I was funny, that, that made my whole day. Uh, I haven't had a headliner actually listen to my material let alone comment on it. So that, that was amazing. Yeah. And that, that thing feels better than validation. And sometimes, you know, just having somebody that maybe you look up to or has way more skin in the game is, is always like a nice, it's a, it's a something that you can, you kind of just drive home and, you know, just reflect on and, you know, 
you're like, oh, wow. You know, it's not something you brag to your friends about, but it's something like, oh, man. You know, that was, you just kind of, it's a good memory. No, I definitely brag to my friends about it. Uh, <laughs> I still brag about it. Okay. I'll, I'll take that to the grave. Okay. So <laughs> do you do, have you worked the loony bins or are you just, are you? I work at the, the Grove Comedy Club okay. in Lowell. And um, get a lot of the same comics that'll come through. Yeah, it's Grove is an awesome place as well. Like I've I've worked there a few times, and it's a fun room. I I haven't worked it recently. I with the pandemic and stuff. I know Bill's probably backlogged on people that he had booked during that whole time that have you know reached out and like you know hey you know I know the things are lifted there. I'm still you know quarantined here. If I could you know do a weekend, so I totally get that aspect of it and. So I, hopefully I'll get back there here in a little bit, but at this point, yeah. we'll see. And so, you know, it's one of those things where... I'll put in a word for you. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So who have you worked with at the Grove? Like, who are some of the headliners that you've had, to, I guess, did you work with Yeah, Dusty? I worked with, uh, well, Dusty Slate, uh, worked with Aaron Weber, uh, Greg Warren, and... Uh, Carmen Morales. And those are, I've only, I've only hosted four shows there. Um, I was scheduled for another one, but I I wasn't able to make it. Um, That happens. I mean, it's COVID. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. And it's just, it's one of those things where you just, as long as you're upfront and honest about that stuff, that's the best thing you can be. Don't be one. Yeah. Don't be one of those people that last minute. If it's if it's something you know, if you work it out Monday and then Tuesday you realize you can't make it, message them as soon as you can on Tuesday. Give them as much time to to locate a replacement as they can. Yeah, absolutely. So you you work at the Grove regularly. So are you closer to the Grove than you are Little Rock, or is? Yes. Yeah. The Grove for me is an hour and fifteen minute drive. Little Rock is like two and a half hours. If I want to do a show in Little Rock, I have to spend the night. Okay. Um, and I'd prefer not to do that. I totally, I, I can't argue with that there, but I've. There's expenses, time. It's just a lot. It's a, it's a much larger commitment. And I'm not opposed to it, uh, but if I have the opportunity, I'm going to drive to the Grove instead. Okay. So. How does how does your family like you have a daughter, thirteen year old daughter? How how has your family like embraced that you're doing stand up? So my my thirteen year old thinks it's awesome. When she talks to her friends, she doesn't tell them about my career, which I, I'm a project manager at an architect firm. She doesn't mention that at all. She tells them I'm a comedian. Um, and my wife uh, tells people I'm a project manager and uh, doesn't mention comedy. <laughs> no, uh, she does. She supports me, but. As a, I have a family, so I have two kids, mm-hmm. I have a wife, and the reality of being a professional comic is to be on the road and to be away from your family yeah. a lot of times, and I've had to to reel back and, and hold back on what I maybe thought I would want to do, mm-hmm. because the real, what I truly want is to have a family. Yeah. Um, so I just keep maintaining relationships with headliners that come through the Grove. Uh, keep working on material and then eventually once all my kids graduate and we have the freedom to travel then i'd like to pursue touring comedy 
Congrats. Well, that's, and you just keep a balanced life. Like I've been doing it 16 years and I've kind of just done it around the DFW area. Just like the last couple of years I've able to venture out. I got, you know, work at the Looney Bins and stuff. So I've gone through them now a couple of times as well as the Grove. So it's, it's definitely like, to, you just have to do work, work and life balance. It's one of those things right. where, especially with kids and stuff. Now you've got, you know, sports possibilities and yeah, I hope so. Yeah. As a kid, I was involved in everything and that's kind of what helped form and shape my personality. And then mm-hmm. all my kids be involved with those things as well. So how would you classify your comedy? If you were to, if you were to try to tell people like, is it self-deprecating edgy? It can be, it can be self-deprecating. I don't go edgy. I have some, some jokes that, I have some misdirection that are kind of edgy, but they don't they don't fall on the lines of like offensive. Okay, if that makes sense. So, so I'll, I'll I'll tackle subjects that maybe are edgy, but in a way that's not offensive. Um, but I'm I'm a joke writer mainly. That is what I do is I tell jokes and sometimes stories. Mm-hmm. I wish I was a better storyteller because I could do one bit in twenty minutes. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> But see that I think to me storytelling is isn't really storytelling. You're just you're just you're just finding jokes and grouping them together into a situation. Like you're just going through the situation and finding the funny in that whole situation. That's true. That's true. And so I have a little bit of a mix of both and it's just to me it's it was just cobbling together certain situations and then putting them all together into this one long bit rather than a bit that's you know a whole story like so to me i think people that do that are just putting pieces of that story finding you know either breaking that story down into you know five sections and just joke you know running those five sections in open mic and just like okay let me get this part good then the next part and they just they just iron it out to where when they cobble it together it's 20 minutes of greatness like one of my favorite is kyle canane and he has a bit that's 14 minutes long that is just so funny. And it's like, man, I can't imagine doing a bit that at 16 seconds. Sorry, something fell in the background outside. And... No worries. You're good. I was, I was thinking it's somewhere in this closet. I don't know. Yeah, it was just a plastic thing that fell outside. So I was like, okay, it's it's windy here. so And so I, we've had freezing weather and I'm basically putting my plants back outside and doing work with that. And Dang. Well, yeah. So, I, but I understand what you're saying with the storytelling. I have, I have like when my son was born, he's 10 months old, but I don't know, 10 days after he was born, I got up and talked about his birth. And as I, <laughs> while I'm in the hospital, I'm taking notes of little things that happen and little jokes that I've made yeah. throughout the time. And that, that I put those together to form the story of his birth, which ended up being like five minutes of material. Um, which like two and a half of it I use now. Okay. Well, congrats. That's awesome. It's, it, it's amazing, you know, that, that you can, that you're able to refine it and not just try to keep preserve it at five and be like, okay, to be able to edit like that, to say, you know, it started as five, but now it's two and a half, you know, that yeah. that's doing the work and finding, okay, so, you know, not all of this is going to make final cut. Like it's, it's yeah. like making a movie and it's like, okay, well I've, you know, unfortunately some of these scenes 
can don't need to be here. It's it's tough because some of them are some of the things that I like the most, but the audience doesn't. (laughs) Those are the hard ones to let go. Yeah. And I just, I always say just repurpose. Don't, don't let go of Uh, bits. Just repurpose, put it aside, you know, okay, maybe I'm just not at a place comedically or mentally where I can, you know, look at this and find what, what I'm wanting to say. You know, come yeah. back to it a, a year or two later, and you're wiser in the game. You've got more comedy experience. You've you've gotten stronger as a writer. Maybe you can find some. Oh, you know what? This let me take this out of it. Because a lot of I like that. A lot of my stuff is just old stuff that I keep going back to, and I'm like, okay, not can't find it yet. Okay, come back to it, and I just keep all my notebooks, and I'll run through them as I write new stuff. I'm like, okay. If I get stuck writing new stuff, I'll look at the old stuff and be like, okay, since it's already kind of fabricated out, how can I how can I make this better or how can I reuse this? And that usually helps me like open back up from writer's block because I'm working on something that's already halfway done. I'm not yeah. having to cobble something. I'm not having to fathom something from scratch. I already have the main idea. Think about it. Okay, what what can we do with this idea? You know, what what are the and maybe one time I'll look at it from the angle of this makes me angry. Next time I'm like, why am I afraid of this? You know, I just try to I try to go through different feelings about that topic. And just that way I can write maybe five or six different bits because I just go through five or six different emotions. Like, what about this is embarrassing? What about this is sad? What about this is, could, you know, that I feel like I could win, but I'm not. You know, just different yeah. ways. Because that way you're still you're still you're not having to write everything, and so that's usually my advice. Really good, uh, useful way to use material that that I know has there's something there, right? Or I like I know that there's something there, but you're right. I just haven't figured out exactly what that is, and I haven't come at it from every angle yet. Yeah, and you just have to be passionate about it. It's yeah. A lot of people here in Dallas, like their pitfall is, is they just write something because they think it's a funny topic and I'm like, but you have to be passionate about it. If you just, if you just think, Oh, this is funny. I'm going to say it. That's fine. But you got to have some, you got to have some skin in the game. An audience does it, doesn't care about your, just your point of view. They want to know why this is important for them to listen to it. And if you don't give them that early, then you're not, you're, they're going to just, you know, not pay attention to you later. They're just going to tune you out, and that's what I. That's why I try to stress is like, sell me, sell me on this. If you're if you're up there, talk about it. You're in a room full of people, and this is what you want to talk about. You know, that, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, if you had five minutes of the world watching you, what would you want? How would you get them to watch you? Do you think they're just going to watch you just because you said it, or you got you've got to hook them? Yeah. So, so I, I, I was, <laughs> I saw that you were in Wichita. Yes. Yeah. I was about <laughs> to bring that up. I was like, so, uh, you know, doing the Looney Bins takes me to, to, to scenic locations like Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Little Rock, and Wichita, Kansas, which I was just there in January, like the first weekend of January when it was cold. And I mean, like it was cold, like my feet were getting cold in my car while I was driving. That's how cold. Like it was like my floorboard was getting cold because it was like nine degrees. Yeah. So I you made a post that you were 
uh, working with, I don't maybe it was John Little. It was Vince Morris. Vince Morris. I work with Vince oh, Morris in, in Wichita, uh, Wichita and Oklahoma City the next week. Uh, okay. Well, no, this is a post you said you're working in hyenas. But okay. I, I'm like, oh, I can't believe they have him work in the door. Like, Which maybe is a joke that would be better off with somebody that I knew uh, more personally than mm-hmm. – I don't know. It probably came off as being rude. I was only trying to be funny, but <laughs> we were like, well, that's kind of shady for someone. I just met your mother-in-law. And I was like, oh. So I reached out to her and I said, hey, uh, do you go to a show in Wichita? And she's like, how'd you know? I said, Ryan Perio told me. She said, who's that? He's the comic that you just want to see. And she goes, oh, that's crazy. I wonder how he knew. <laughs> like, you obviously told him. <laughs> Yeah. Debbie, there's no way he just guessed. I think this might be Chase's mother-in-law. Yeah, she just said, "I, you know, my my son-in-law does stand up," and I was like, oh. <laughs> and I was. Yeah. Like, she claims she never. She's like, I never, I never told him. That. I'm like, you had to have told him. <laughs> I can tell you exactly where I was too, because I was watching the Cowboy game over on the right hand side where they do the open mic in front of the front windows, and she came to that bathroom that's by the ticket booth. And as she was going in there, she told me, you know, my son-in-law does stand up, you know, tell him he, he talks about like, I'm his crazy mother-in-law. Like he, apparently you have bits about her that she's. She thinks I don't have bits about her. She thinks I do. Uh, I haven't, I haven't yet. I'm sure I will. I'm sure yeah. with time I will. She was wearing, I haven't figured out something funny yet. Yeah. She has some like Eskimo coat on too. And I was like, you, she looked. Like yeah, you, you look like the crazy mother-in-law. You, 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 you're owning that persona. I, I, I'm sure we all, we all appreciate the fact that you were taking ownership of that personality. Yeah, she's a lot of fun. She is a, a whole lot of fun. So a how, lot of energy. So, how did you meet your wife? Like, how did that? So, my wife and I are both really into music, and we both went to music festivals for a long time. Followed a lot of different bands. And there's a music venue in Fayetteville, Arkansas, that is called George's. And uh, there's a concert there. And we met each other there through uh, through mutual friends. And she was actually on a date with another guy when I met her. I didn't know that till later. <laughs> <laughs> so she was, you were the side chick at this, yeah. at this festival. Uh, so when we met, it was only just to like, hey, you know, it's nice to meet you. I've been wanting to meet you. I've heard good things about you. And then uh, later we messaged and met up. But I didn't know at the time when we met. Yeah, she was actually on a date with somebody. Okay. Mr. Steal Your Girl. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. Well, you, and sometimes that's like that. I mean, sometimes people are there. Like, I, I feel like you wanting to be at that festival may have been more something that she would be more interested in pursuing than maybe some guy that she, you know, said, Hey, do you want to go to this? And he was like, what is it? You know, like that, your level, your level of, I guess, knowledge in that, in that sphere probably, you know, was something she wanted to hang out with. Like, Oh, you know, this guy knows the bands and like, we can talk about music. Yeah. The guy part of our relationship has been uh, our interest in music and traveling. Where you, like a, a great foundation of our relationship is is going to visit different places, mm-hmm. checking out different music, and having a baby in COVID really made us uh, like meet each other again. You know, like 
really get to know each other in other ways that we because we didn't have that thing that we could just bond over. yeah so what is the band that you you guys i guess what is your favorite bands that you i guess that y'all share what is the one band that like uh right now the band that we love is goose okay yeah we actually went and saw them in dallas uh, a couple months ago uh hi-fi i think they changed the name of the venue but it was called hi-fi when we booked it okay so one of my friends does a lot of uh stand-up and music podcasts his podcast is called i'm a fan of he's travis wright like he does a lot of local artists and musicians it's we used to have a radio station here called The Edge, and they would they would debut like obscure, like local and obscure music that maybe the radio station wouldn't play you. It was called Edge Club, and I was like, "That's what you kind of remind me of." Is you kind of play, you have these these up and coming musicians or people that are, you know, just maybe breaking through. Like he recorded uh, during the pandemic, he recorded Brave Little Howl, like in a in like a cabin. And then he released it on vinyl. He's like, because this is just, he's like, when I listened to the recording, I was like, this is something that you would play on a record on a on a cold day or something just to, to play around in the house. He's like, but I had to listen to it like over and over and kind of picture myself. Like, where would I listen? How would I listen to this? Is yeah. this? And he's like, that was, he just, he just said vinyl was the way I went. And it's, it's really cool. He's like super, he's a big music head and stuff like that. So I, I will recommend him. He doesn't like to do Zoom, so next time you're in Dallas, I'll have him interview you. Yeah. And y'all can talk music and comedy because he is... I absolutely love vinyl, too. I, th- I think there's no better way to listen to music than vinyl. And it's not it's not the sound quality. I'm like not, I'm not an audiophile in that way, but it is a physical item, and you have to sit down and listen to the album front to back, and you have to... You have to be present for it. It's not something you can just push play and walk around your house or get work done. Like you're there embracing the moment. It's a very Zen way to listen to music. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, a ref- you know, to me, I would, I'm, even though you would multitask with that, I, I usually try to write in that space. When I get to that kind of Zen moment, I'm like, okay, I can, I can picture, you know, different ways. I can go different angles. I can attack this subject. If I have like comedy, like I'll listen to comedy and stuff while I drive, you know, I'll listen to stand up, you know, short clips and stuff on, on like Pandora, Spotify, just to get myself kind of in that mindset of let's ask questions, not just watch and zone out. Let's, let's ask questions. Let's get the mind working. Yeah. I, that's a good way to use that space. I, I, I'll be honest, I'm terrible. I have really bad work ethic when it comes to writing. What I will do is be inspired mm-hmm. around 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. when I want to be sleeping. And then I will roll over and type it on my phone of these premises. And then later I'll come back and fill it in and actually write jokes. But uh, that, that seems to be the way I work. It's, and it's working. Yeah. It's, it's consistently working. But I don't think it could work that way forever if I had to put well, together a special or, or anything like that. Well, I think it's I think it's it's work the way you can. And because you have like me have a job, we have the benefit of turning off comedy for eight hours a day if we needed to to do our job. Yeah. And sometimes people, you know, you, you kind of think like, Man, I wish I could be doing stand up and full time, but 
I couldn't imagine, you know, there's some things about it that like make me like panic. Like if I was doing stand up full time, like, like how do I spend my eight hours? You know, what's my eight hours of comedy day? Like, you know, that's the part that like, yeah, I would, I'd have to spend that time with myself. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Spend that time with yourself. Like, okay, now I've got to get on social media and try to, you know, how many likes am I getting? What is, what's this clip look like? And, all I already get enough anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, but it just it just gets overwhelming. It's like you know I couldn't imagine doing that. I I you know and I kind of, you know even though I you know sometimes am bummed of having a day job, it, it keeps me centered because I don't have to. Okay, what comedy work do I need to do today? Like what? How much comedy work do I? Need? How many joke writing things do I need to do? How much? How much stage time can I get today? Like all. Oh, you know, where can I get stage time? Like how much gas can I, you know, it just becomes so much more panic when I'm like, okay, well for eight hours, I've got to work on tech support stuff and I don't have time. You know, if I have time for stand up, I'll, I'll think of something, scribble it down and move on yeah. and tech support. I have, a, I have a friend, Steph Bright. Do you know Steph Bright? I do not. She's a comic. Okay. She's a comic out of Northwest Mexico and she's touring, doing comedy. Uh, and I saw just out of nowhere, she had this tour put together and it was like 20, 30 dates. And then after a tour, she came back, I saw her at an open mic. I'm like, how did you do it? <laughs> how did you organize that many dates in a row that are within traveling distance? Like, I don't, that seems like to me, that just seems like everything just has to fall into place. And she's like, honestly, just plan it week by week and make it happen. Like. There's plenty of venues all over the country. You can go anywhere. You yeah. yeah. I need to get better at that. I need to get better at like, awesome. like saying, Hey venue, why don't you book me? You know, I don't know how, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do that. Like I just luck of the draw did that with the Looney bins and I just happened to message them on a week. They had a fallout and he put me in Oklahoma city and I did so well that they just passed me. And so I'm like, Perfect. Yeah, I'm like that's awesome, but it's like now how does the rest of them work? Do I just look at the draw with all like 800 of the rest of the comedy clubs in the United States? Just you know, <clears throat> and I've started local. Like I've tried to go to you know like Looney's in Colorado Springs, stand up KC and stuff like that. Better just past the Looney bins. Like it's okay. Let me expand my area, like Louisiana. Do you ever work in Houston? I have not yet. I think Houston has a, a pretty good scene there as well. Yeah. I I need to get back down there at some point. They're just, I think it's just, they have the Houston Improv and not many other, like, and the Secret Group are the only two places. Yeah, the Secret Group is the, that's what I know. Yeah, so I've done the Secret Group one time, and that was, okay. it wasn't as good as I thought it would be. And, oh, like audience-wise, you just didn't yeah. get a good turn? It was, just, it was just my 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 family it's so that was very okay. <laughs> and it was Houston or did they drive there from Dallas they live in Houston it's my dad's side of the family but okay. the whole show it was just my dad and that side of the family instead of okay. and it was just and their room could seat more but it just did no no one came and I was okay. I was that's hard yeah that's I was just, really hard I was mortified just because I'm like, okay, this is how bad, you know, this is like there, you know, this is, this is like the absolute, like worst. Yeah, this is the floor. 
<laughs> this is what real comedy feels like. But by the time I went up, because I was headlining that night, I guess Secret Group had another show come on later, which was a uh, it's an LGBTQ show, like Don't Tell or something like it's something like something some kind of game uh, game show that they do comedy wise. Okay. It was, and it's really cool. It was a really cool venue. It was something like you know, I guess just being able as an LGBTQ or any kind of person to unload what's going on. And so they were all kind of filed in to do that show. So they were all, so by the time I went up, there was like 30 or 40 people in the room, not just my family. Okay. And it made it way easier to perform instead of just, Hey guys that are just here to see me, you know, like, Hey, Uncle Dave. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was like five people. And I was like, I just felt for both sides because I'm like, you know, I wish more people were here so you could see how good I could really do. Versus... Right. Because you're, you're like the audience's reaction is also a display for your family. Like, yeah. it's not <laughs> like you're wanting to show them how other people are reacting to you. You don't, I personally, I'm like, I'm not truly concerned about your reaction because if you don't like it and the whole audience does, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. But I need you to hear that they're laughing. <laughs> like my, my mom lived in DFW for a while, and so she saw me like being really good, and, and stuff. So she saw me like at the hyenas and stuff. So she's come to a few shows at hyenas where I was opening and middling, and I was it was she was like you you know those that's way more easier to say ta da you know like to 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 show how how good I am, but. When a room full of five people, it's very hard to say, yeah, this is what I do all the time. You know, this is, you know, I believe I'm good at it. And they just, yeah. but it, it turned out pretty well. I'd, I'd love to do, you know, like some, you know, another venue or something down there and have like my whole dad's side of the family show up. Texas is pretty cool. You've got a lot of cities, a lot of venues to work just within the state. Yeah, Arkansas is pretty limited. We have the Grove and Little Rock. Yeah, uh, here in Fort Smith, we have like brewery shows that we put together. But uh, yeah, those aren't they aren't clubs; they're yeah. breweries, and we can get forty people in there and sell it out. That's a good time, but not the not the same experience. So, would you? So, when would you? I guess since you have a ten month old, that kind of puts traveling on ice for a little bit. Yeah. When do you feel like you would be, I guess, conducive to like working a weekend that would be, that would require you to be away from home? Yeah. So the time that I would be okay with that is uh, anytime my wife says it's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I'm okay with it, but it's a lot to to leave her for a weekend to take care of. Yeah. So, uh, and it comes with the trade of like you know. She needs to have her own time where she mm -hmm. can go enjoy your friends and do her thing without having to be responsible. Because uh, when it comes down to it, she, you know, she she does see it as work doing comedy as work, mm -hmm. but the work of having to take care of a baby by yourself for a weekend is a lot harder than the work of doing comedy. Yes, the, the reality is. <laughs> so. So what is her passion like? What is her numbers? She's an accountant. She's a financial analyst for planners okay and she like runs a plant here in fort smith and um she's a genius when it comes to business decision numbers we have everything we have because of, of her great mind um 
and she's very passionate about that. So with that also comes uh, checks and balances and understandings of like <laughs> planning ahead. I'm not very good at planning ahead. I'm very, uh, oh, what's the word? Oh, uh, impulsive. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm very impulsive. She's okay. very so, but what's her, what is her, like, I guess, hobby? Like, what does she like oh, to okay. do that when she's, a, when she doesn't, when you, when you're taking care of the baby, what is her, what is her stand up comedy? Oh, yeah. Uh, tacos and tequila. <laughs> yeah. Next time y'all yeah. come to Dallas, I can suggest some taco places that y'all might want to, to, to de- delve into and just enjoy. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it's very interesting because you can tell what your fear is just by the way you answer questions. Like it's very, it's very prevalent. Like you're very much, you're, you're very conscious of other people when you answer, yeah. you're very conscious of you. What my, what would my wife say? What would my daughter like? It's so tell people yeah. what you're afraid of. Uh, my, my fear is uh, that people don't or won't like me. And that's, yeah. I, I feel like that's the driving force of everybody doing stand up because that is yeah. that is such a, a a part of who you are on stage because it's like you're trying to present <laughs> the best version of yourself in the worst situations. Yeah, that's a really good way to describe that. I haven't I haven't really thought of it in in those exact words, but that's a really good way to put it. Like you want to be yeah. everyone's buddy. That's the whole <laughs> please <laughs> yeah for sure it's, it's like a, it can manifest itself in different anxieties and behaviors um, like if I like if I went on a, a date with some like before I was married obviously but if I went on a date with somebody <laughs> you'd be very not like when you came back home you <laughs> your fear of not being like would be a reality <laughs> Oh no! Uh, very quickly fix that. Uh, <laughs> but okay, if I went on a date with somebody and they, I knew that I had a good time, and I messaged them the next day and just said, "Hey, I had a good time," and they don't respond, like I would go into it. I could very easily go into a spiral okay. of like, "Oh my god!" Even though knowing that we enjoyed each other's company, knowing that it was a good time, I could allow myself to freak out thinking they don't like me, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. <laughs> and every minute that passes, the anxiety gets worse. So that's a terrible flaw because it's really debilitating. When I could just use, just as easily say, "Are they probably like me or don't?" and it doesn't matter because we're still at a good time. So I have a comic buddy. We we just did this yesterday with him, and he was talking about like he was on a date with some girl, and her cat didn't like him, and. He said he he would the 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 bit I want him to work on. He said I drove home thinking, you know, what could I have done differently with this cat to make it <laughs> like me? Oh, and it, just made, it made me laugh so hard because it was like, like you. That's how like met. That's how messed up we are. Is like how how could I have gotten this animal to like me? Brought the cat in it. But it was just so funny that this cat, because the girl was like, you know, I don't fit. My cat doesn't seem to like you. I think we're, you need to leave or it's not working. Oh, and, and so 
but it just made me laugh so hard that he was like, because it's like, it's just a funny, relatable thing of you know, what could I have done with this cat <laughs> to make it like me? What did I do? You know, just that's how like sometimes paranoid people get about things. But it's great too because it's a cat. Like cats, they pick and choose who they like pretty quickly, and they stick to it. <laughs> Nothing you can do about that. So how do you how do you handle this as a dad? Because that's especially as a daughter. Oh, that's. I mean, you're lucky that she loves stand up. But I mean, yeah. So well, okay. So here's an, another part of that is I'm, I'm divorced. So my daughter's from a previous marriage. Okay. And that it's not just that like. I want her to like me, right? It's that I only get her every other weekend and I want those 48 hours. I mean, that's the reality of it is 48 hours. I want those to be in pleasant memories for her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there are, yeah, there are a lot of times where my wife now will be like, Hey, uh, you know, maybe you still got to be her parent. You can't just be her best friend. Yeah. Uh, and that's hard. And I, I, you know, I am still a parent. I still have to punish her, but man, it is very tough to do. Do you coordinate with, with your, uh, I guess your ex or her mom on the punishment and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah, I have to, because she'll, she'll, she'll be sneaky about it. If she's in trouble one place, she'll try to get out of being grounded here. Just, just say, hey, just say, hey, <laughs> want to hang, like all of a sudden she magically wants to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we have to coordinate that, um, like, which is difficult, but, you know, we do our best. How close is she to you? Like, is she in Fort Smith as well? or? Yeah, yeah. She, she oh. lives right in town. Okay, so that's not too bad. So it's not something that, yeah. that she's traveling or... No, I mean, that's honestly, that's the reason why I am. I probably wouldn't still be living here if she, she didn't live here. Okay. Or your wife was like an accountant for and making big bucks. My wife can do anything she wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> so and and yet your son too, like you're in that you know, there's gonna be, you know, another opinion coming, you know. So, oh, yeah. I mean, he loves you now. I mean he you pick him yeah. up and toss him around, he think he's you're the greatest. That's all he wants. Yeah, he looks just like me. So um you know, obviously I love him. <laughs> he but, looks just like me so it's very hard to tell him now but i mean Luckily, yeah. there's a lot of reasons to yeah. yeah but he's you know he still hasn't gotten to that you know challenging phase of hey let me challenge your authority no and that's you know that's part yeah. of it's part of in that's a stretch as a dad too because again you have to be you have to separate friend and friend and foe you know like you know i i love you but i've gotta i've gotta stop you here yeah, my goal is just to make you a decent person who survive. Uh, so just let me do that. Yeah. And then, then you got Mrs. <laughs> and the wife too. That's you know sometimes you know things. You know, it's hard too because especially if there's something that she wants to do and something doesn't work out where you can't do it and you have to be, you know, try to you know try to comfort, but at the same time not. That's the hard part for me as as like a somebody that when I care is because I try to help and try to fix, and a lot of times all they want to hear is, "I'm sorry," and I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, I'm that's I'm, a, that's definitely a problem with us. Right? I'm so focused on solutions 
Like she was like, I really, I'm not asking you to fix this. I just want you to be compassionate about what's going on. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm there. I'm, yeah, that, this is my com- this problem. this is my compassion right here. Is me solving this, so you don't have to. So you don't exactly. have to. I don't want you to feel this way again. That's what I'm trying to. That's that's my compassion, and and it's so hard sometimes. Yeah. It's so hard to just be like, oof, you know, and just you know, you're right. That's that's awful. You yeah, know? that's very insightful. I should work on that. <laughs> Which is part of it, but it's part of you know, like I don't want you to carry this it comes from that same thing that same fear of you know not being like that oh i did something that made you angry and you want me to feel you want me to feel compassionate for your side or all i can think is how can i fix this so it doesn't happen yeah how can i make it right you know and and sometimes there's just not a way to make it right it's just you know you just have to be like you know i'm sorry i didn't mean it that way you know i Hopefully, in yeah. T- hopefully. A lot of my solutions are also like ways where I get what I want to. Uh, <laughs> so, it's not always just like so you get what you want. It's like so you get what you want, and I get what I want. Yeah, yeah. Seems like a great plan, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. you know, until she sees that the underlying meaning is that I'm just trying to get what I want. Yeah, then that's <laughs> that is that is a long silent night at that point yeah. <laughs> so, i know what your motivation is so. so where did you think where do you think this like stems from like this this overarching fear like that it's that it's something happened to you like as a young kid or like school because yeah i was thinking so leading up to this podcast I, i've tried to put a lot of thought into that i don't think there's any like one thing that happened that made me like fear being liked it's just like i've always I've always put a lot of emphasis on the opinions of others. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be liked or popular in some regard. And and I've never not been. <laughs> but yeah. like I've got I've a pretty good record, though. Uh, and I'd like to maintain that. Yeah, to me, it, it it's a lot of my stuff stems from school because it's like you see the same people year after year. It's not like at a job where you maybe see them for two years and then they move on. I'm like, these are people that you spend 12 to 15 years with every day and there's no HR. So they're learning on the fly and everybody's, everybody's like stepping on each other to try to, to reach the, the popular, the top of the popularity heap. Yeah. And everybody, you know, looks to the other person and sees how can I push you down and then also get higher up. And so it's a lot of people just pushing each other down at all times. And you just, it just becomes what you, you know, these phobias and stuff that we have is because of that learning those social dynamics. Yeah. I was never, never like the most popular kid in school, but uh, as far as like quarterback or whatever, that guy, but I was, the guy that was very fluid and could hang out with anybody. Yeah. I could be friends with anybody. Um, and pretty much got along with everybody. Uh, except for those I didn't like. For the people I don't like, I don't care if they don't like me. That's yeah. Fine. But if I don't know you, then I really need you to like <laughs> I like how it's just people. It's like a first, imp- almost like a first impression. Like I have to, yeah. I have to show you I'm great. Like you. Yeah. Yeah. It very much translates to comedy. You're right. That is a big driving factor there. 
So does how do you, how do you handle this? So a lot of times when you're meeting people, that is that where you get the anxiety of you know what if we you know what if I say something that you know what if they're not into music and I just go off on a tangent about music because they they have somebody playing in the background and you're you're like Christian Bale, <laughs> you know Huey Lewis of the news. Yeah, no, um, I don't know. I'm I'm. I'm sure that there are times where I've been just overbearing in conversations. I've definitely, definitely done that. Um, usually on a mixture of intoxicants where, <laughs> where I tend to do that. Uh, but sober, I'm pretty good about flow of conversation. Okay. Does, yeah. your, does the missus help you with that? Like if she feels like you've talked too long, does she like, yeah, she has subtle me, ways of pay. Like yeah. she'll give you a look or something like you know, wrap it up and like maybe give you give you like a a light of so like a comedy light if you will like you got two minutes wrap it up. I also, but yeah, then I also have my like Larry David moments where I'm like, what, what, what am I doing? What? I'm just talking. What? <laughs> That's in. Like I said, but it's such a it's it's such an interesting dynamic because like, it it's it's like the first that feeling is the first five minutes of before of introducing me walking on stage and doing my first joke. That is when it's that's when I feel that that same like phobia. Like, what if I what do I how do I do this? How do I like it's just a, it's almost like a defense mechanism of how can I how can I how can I be comfortable in this situation? Yeah. And it goes away, like, after I get, like, the first laugh, I'm like, okay, autopilot. And I don't care anymore. But for that for that brief moment, like you're saying, like, with introductions or meeting people or or even worse, like, you meet people through friends and then your friend walks away and it's just you and them because he's <laughs> got, you know, when's the, when's the proper dismount for that? Yeah, so what do you do is usually my go-to. Yeah. <laughs> I let's just, talk about you. Yeah, People just, like talking. About you, so. Yeah, that's yeah. a good best way to go about. It. That did not happen on my dates at all, and so that <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend would tell you that all of our first dates were disasters, and she quantifies all my all of the dates that we had before, like I kissed her, as first dates that went badly. <laughs> <laughs> at least she kept giving you chances. That's yeah. uh. Yeah. And that's what I recognize is like, you know what, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to see her with somebody else just because I wasn't bold enough to make a move. And I, yeah. I had, just, I was like, I'm not going to do that. And I just made a stand and luckily it worked out and it's, you know, it's continued to work out years later, but it, but it is something that she's like, you know, I was seething when you walked me to my, my car, I was I just was like, I was like, well, he obviously doesn't like me, you know, and, and yeah. What'd you do that was so bad? I mean, seething, seething's a bold statement. Then that's anger. Because <laughs> I have some, I have some hangups, and we went on a date on a day where there's usually an open mic, and I normally am at open mic at all times, and I just was, I was. I took her to a place to eat and I'm like, okay, we're going to eat. We're going to go back. We got to go back. What? And I kept looking at my watch to see what time it was as the mic started. And I, uh, and she's like, you didn't take your jacket off. You, you literally just 
look at we you. We're ready life. to go. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Okay. And you were definitely displaying that every yeah. second, which and made I'm, it look on her side that you were disinterested in her. Yes. So the reality was you were just, you were just focused on the open mic. I was focused on the open mic and I didn't want to, I was afraid that I was going to hose it by saying something weird. And I was like, I don't want to be awkward. Let, if I'm going to be awkward and lose this, let me lose it at open mic. Let me lose it there. You know, like I, <laughs> if I'm going to blow it anywhere. Like, no, wait, did you take her as a date to an open mic and perform? No. I, okay. That, that's really bold. That could go either way. Yeah. She wanted, she wants to do stand up. She's done it a few times and she's kind of, okay. she has her, she has her own 13 year old daughter to, to, to manage. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot of time constraints. Her dad, you know, the daughter's dad lives way, you know, in Idaho and stuff. So there is way more time commitment to daughter than you, know, you have. Yeah. Like that, if, if she had, if your daughter had to, you know, fly or, you know, then you wouldn't, you know, buy, you know, you don't get to see them that often. So right. there isn't like the, Oh, you want to, ha- you want to have her this weekend that, that requires plane tickets and stuff. It, yeah. That's a much harder yeah. thing to coordinate and so she she definitely and you know there's attachment there and i'm like I, and i'm i'm all for it i'm like whatever she wants to do she wants to spend time with you she's saying hey you know i need i want i feel i'm not feeling well you know i'd rather you know i just ha- i haven't talked to you in a while or something like that she gives her one of those those cues of you know i miss hanging out have a girl's day let's go you know let's you know let's you know let's go ahead and you know take care of that i'm not going to get I'm not going to get bent out of shape. That's as like, I, I was an only child too. I know how, and sometimes it gets lonely. So I would rather you make that time with her than me. You know, I'm, I'm going to be here no matter what. That's fair. And so that's how, and so, yeah, but yeah, she, our dates were, were none too (laughs) exciting to her and to her thing. Well, it's good. You made a move. You made it happen. Yes, it is. And I'm thankful for that. And, you know, it's been it's been great. And I'm just a, I'm just easygoing and patient once I know what's going on. I'm like, yeah, whatever you need. I'm not I'm not going to be Mr. Bossy Pants or get bent out of shape because I can't see you. I was like, I know you want to see me. I just know yeah. there are things that are preventing it. Do you, so do you share the same fear that I do? Yes, yeah, so, on some levels. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely do. Like dates. So for me, I'm, another place because you were saying how comedy is kind of like you're showing your best self in a bad situation. I feel like um, another way that I use that is through social media, like Facebook or Instagram or whatever. It's another way to kind of have a facade of who I am or put the best parts of me on display. Yeah. To be mixed. See, I don't, um, I don't hesitate that much on social media. You know, sometimes, yeah. sometimes if I post something and it gets a, you know, like, oh, I can't, I can't handle this or something like that. Like somebody posts something that's too far. Okay. That might, that might stick with me a little bit, but I don't, I don't really post, I don't consciously think about my posts. Like, oh my God, I hope that people. I do. <laughs> I do too much. I think way too much about, or not think too much, but I care too much about what strangers on the internet think about me yeah yeah i put i invest too much emotions and thought into that but uh, i think it all stems from the anxiety or 
fear of not being liked. It's hard to manage uh, social media because I mean, it's because people are already disingenuous to begin with. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm fighting an uphill battle here trying to get people that, whose only goal is to upset me to like them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in, yeah, like I, I sometimes get true. Sometimes argument posts are people that are trying to, to poke the bear. Like mm-hmm. I can, I can, I'm able to tune them out, but it's like, it takes a minute for me to either, either I'll type it out and then just go back and delete it before I post it. Smart. But I just, <laughs> I just try my best to not give in. Like, don't give them. My thought was, don't give them the satisfaction of knowing they got me. I don't want them to know that 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 I took that personally. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to say it's gotten a lot better for me, but I think it's more just the subjects and tones of Facebook have changed uh, since the election. I think that was a really divisive time, and I can easily allow myself to get involved. I. It's, but to me, it's only divisive because I think every media outlet now has access to news stories across the country. When I was a kid, because I'm 45, when I was a kid, we didn't have CNN. We didn't have the ability to see news in Lincoln, Nebraska, and here in, Dow- in Dallas, or where I grew up in Houston. You had Houston area news only. It was Houston but- news, and then for 30 minutes, Ted Koppel will tell you what's going on overseas at World News Tonight. And then you'd have your 10 o'clock local news, which was just a rerun of the 8 o'clock news with any maybe any updates. But, you know, then when like with all these news outlets that are 24-7, that people posting articles of all the time, just everybody is in a race to be the first person to publish this so they can get everybody's eyes first. Like even I'm, I'm a sports fan, so even like I've never seen a time where I've had so many sports stories come out that are inaccurate, but they've come out just because they don't want to be, they don't want to sit on this and risk not being the first. Yeah. That's very, very, our society is very much built around instant gratification now, which comes with uh, having to be the first to say it and having, having to be the first to hear it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which, yeah, definitely it comes with some inaccuracies when you're in a race to share facts. Yeah, and I think that comes with, I think a lot of, like when I grew up in sports is coming up with, you know, winning and losing and that everybody now, like in some of the kids' games, I get that certain age that that the score doesn't matter and it's like, why does it matter if who wins and who loses if, you know, you just play? I get that part of it, but at the same time, as you get older, there has to be, you know, some some spirit of competition. And it's like, it doesn't have to be, it's not this detrimental keeping people down, but it's like, we can have fun, but don't just, don't just, you don't make losing like the worst thing that happened like when you know when we were kids and stuff you know you want kids to try you want kids to bring their best but you also don't want to reward them for just hang sitting on the bench you want to re- yeah. you want to reward them for for pushing themselves outside of their comfort barriers not just being there and i feel sometimes that gets 
I think those two things get, you know, lost in the shuffle. Like it's either, you know, you've got the dad that's like, you, you don't want this. You don't, you know, like the screaming in your yeah. face when they're, but I was like, you're, I feel like the, you learn that lesson of, of effort being put into something when you're actually passionate about it. Mm-hmm. So when you're a kid and your parents are interested in you being in sports, like for me, <laughs> When I played baseball, I'd just like play in the grass or like try to talk to the other players. I wasn't paying attention to the game. For me, it was just a social activity that I got dressed up for. I I got to wear a baseball costume to go talk to my friend. But I mean, why not make it something affordable? Why not? Why do why do I have to spend three hundred dollars on baseball and then three (laughs) hundred dollars on football? Why can't we why can't we invest in a community like that, that provides that stuff and just says, okay, it's this season. Do you want to play this? Okay. You know, next, you know, just basically just it's one sporting league, but we have all these different sports. And so kids can try out. And if they like something, okay, the next level up after that, okay, now we start to be more basketball. So if I like basketball and soccer, okay, it's, this is more basketball and soccer focused. That sounds like sports coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just it's. I just think that that would be so much more beneficial than let's spend three hundred dollars. Yeah, like having kids choose what they want to do will have them more invested in it because they they chose it. It wasn't chosen for them. Yeah, and that's what. I, and I just feel like I I feel like the leagues and stuff should do a better job of. Hey, you know, let's not just sign up for this, that, or the other thing. Let's sign up for this whole sports. Yeah. If they don't like any sports, hey, we got an arts. We had the same my, thing with arts. Thing was like if growing up, I had to play a sport and I had to play an instrument. And it didn't matter what the sport was and it didn't matter what the instrument was. But they wanted me to do sports, to learn about teamwork and learn about physical body stuff like having to train. And then they wanted me to play sports because it, or I'm sorry, to play an instrument because it's also practice. That is a more of a personal practice and holding yourself accountable and more of a mental activity. And I think those things paired really well. And that's something I'm now and passing on to my kids that they need to play a sport and an instrument. Yeah. Um, but it still gives them the choice to, to do. Yeah. But you know, I mean, what they want. I just, I, and I just think that would be so much more beneficial to kids is just to have like just a whole pl- one place that you can go where you do arts. So it's not just, <laughs> I don't. I think the more sequestered you are in certain things, and you don't expose kids to them, that's where I think the bullying and all that stuff kind of generates from. Is they don't, they don't, they don't, they're not exposed to that. So they're like, "What is this art? What are you gay?" You know, like you know, they do all that stuff because they weren't exposed to it, and they don't want. They're afraid of it because they were never exposed to it, so they don't know anything about it. And so before they can be. Their, you know, their dominance can be poked at because they know nothing about art. They're going to affect the group by saying, you know, you don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. Which is what I also told, you know, Mallory and stuff, you know, it's like, you know, now it's, you know, your, your daughter's getting into the age of social dynamics and to play to your strengths. Like people are going to tear down on things you like because they want you, they want people to like them. And so... They're going to, you know, it'll start with, I don't like this TV show. I think that was dumb. Okay. And as soon as you, and if you like that show, 
what does it matter if you like that show? You know, they're going to they're going to poke fun at you for a day or two about liking that show. But I'd rather you like that show than to come to the group and say, yeah, that show's dumb because then. Right. You're denying. Oh, and you just it's it starts taking little pieces. It's that little piece of you goes away. Then they start taking bigger pieces. Oh, yeah. And no, I, I, and I see that with my daughter now. She's very much motivated by what is interesting. I mean, it's the same fear that I have. Mm-hmm. She have the same thing. It's just, yeah, fear of not being liked. So she's liking things. I mean, it's not to say she doesn't genuinely have an interest in it, but she'll put aside things that she would liked before. That it's just not. It's not cool. Now. Yeah. Okay. But that, to me, also is what comedy is too. Is it's it's learning that I'm not cool, but embracing yeah. the things that I'm not cool about. That I'm not cool. Yeah, at. you find out so many other people have that same exact feeling. Yeah, and that's and that's why I tried to tell. Is like if I, when people say I wish I knew then what I know now, it's not you know like what what stocks to invest in. It is that if I knew that I'd be much happy if i if i knew that being who i am wasn't such a such a you know a pariah or something that would just be insulted or humiliated on a daily basis i'd have been a much happier kid like if i'd have known that it's not that big of a deal and it's it's so hard because again you don't get outside of that classroom i feel yeah high school is when i kind of figured that out but yeah middle school was rough yeah, and again, it's people, and they don't know better. They're human beings learning right alongside you that how can I, you know, the whole goal was to just be the cool kid or to have everybody think you're cool. And it's such a it's such a small goal, you know, and the bigger scheme of things. And it's like, why did I think that, you know, that shirt was, you know, they made fun of me for that shirt and stuff. You know, why did I let them get to me? Because I used to have an MC Hammer too legit to quit T-shirt. I still, I may still have it somewhere, but it was just <laughs> I had it all the way up to my twenties, and it was just so funny. Yeah, I don't have any of the clothes I had up until my twenties because uh, I grew like three sizes since then. So I if I kept them, they would not fit my arm. <laughs> Some of them, some of them, I try to keep. Like I still have some that I try to keep, and it doesn't fit well. And still, <laughs> yeah, okay, fair. But you still got them. That's nice. I feel like that they, they become a fitness goal. Like your parents that have like the bell bottoms and stuff. It's, it's. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. I just one day. One day I'll fit back into these. And... <laughs> uh, I don't have those disillusions, but one day I'll probably get a bigger shirt. <laughs> Do you think comp doing comedy has kind of helped you with that fear, though? Has being able to talk about yourself in a realistic w- tone? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's a really healthy way to do it. Um, because well, I'm, one, I'm planning what I'm saying ahead of time. It's not reactionary. It's it's all planned out. It's calculated. Um, and it and it, although it is a designed way to get people to like me. And my material that I say about me, at least not everything that I talk about is me, but when I do talk about me, it's real, it's genuine. Yeah. And I'm presenting myself how I see myself and that, uh, and people have related to that. And that, that's a great feeling. Yeah. 
I think it's I think it's the hard part is just finding the the things that make me laugh and the things that happen to me, and that to me was like the biggest because I think my biggest struggle was I still wanted to be liked and like you did like that was my biggest struggle with stand up is just I would try to not put myself in a bad light even on stage like I would be like you know I didn't do you know. Yeah, I you know it's, I would pull back on certain bits and stuff because I'm like you know it's that's kind of sad, and I was like I don't want people you know I still want to try to feel like that I'm a cool, fun loving person, right? And so I feel like you know the more I just I just had to basically admit you know I'm not this great person, uh, you and it's and you have to be like and that's okay it's okay to have flaws, and I think that you know people saying look at your big feet things like that that they kids will do yeah well they're forgivable flaws yeah for sure uh then there's some people that get up and they're just like outwardly racist and you're like ah people actually aren't going to connect with that flaw you should probably change that personally yeah it's 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 definitely a you know but it's it's owning certain parts of yourself and being able to admit yeah I, I messed up rather than to, to double down. They're wrong. You know, I feel like. Uh, yeah. I yeah, feel, yeah. I feel like stand up comedy allows you to make peace with some, you know, with certain things that happened to you in the past that you can joke about. Yeah, it gives you some, some solid humility. Well, I, Chase, I thank you for doing this. Where can people yeah. find you on social media? So I, I run River Valley Comics with my friend Sam Price another comic check out river valley comics on uh, facebook or instagram and then my name is chase miska m-y-s-k-a and you can follow me on all all the media okay well i'll let you get out of your daughter's closet thank you i'm coming out all right (laughs) thanks again chase so that was chase it's amazing how much of our fears and stuff just are deeply rooted in that in that early school like time in our lives. Just impressionable, vulnerable, and everything is life or death. It just we it feels like everything everything's every social stake is higher when you're in middle school. Some people find their groove later on, either, you know, in high school or after high school or in my case, even in your 40s. I mean, you just, sometimes you just have a long time before you get acceptance, and it just feels like the quicker you can find that acceptance, the better off you'll be. Check out Chase Miska at Chase Miska on all social media platforms. He's got some, he's just now getting starting to find his stride, and so it's definitely worth checking out. If you want to check me out, I'm at, at Ryan Perio. I don't have any shows coming up on the calendar just yet, but I shall have some fairly soon. We'll have some more uh, shows to promote as well. Thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Five stars if you can. If you have any feedback for the show, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Uh, last week, I spent a lot of a little bit of this this time last week. We were just getting to Ozark, Arkansas. We had a great time just hiking and getting away from everything for a couple of days. Had a scenic drive back on Tuesday with a quick stop in Paris, Texas before 
me and Mallory got back to our normal daily lives. So definitely some more episodes on the horizon. I just booked two interviews for next week, so hopefully we'll have more interviews in the can. I've still got a couple that I haven't released that I'm going to release in the next couple weeks. And looking to get some more and get some rhythm so I have a little bit of a stockpile. Not a lot, but a little. Thanks again for listening and have a wonderful week. And now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it? H2O, like water. You can also follow him on Facebook, Music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olson for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns, that's G-U-N-B-U-N-S, as well as his website, gunnarolson.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, Some of All Fears. Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at Some Fear Fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at somefearfans, S-O-M-E-F-E-A-R-F-A-N-S at gmail.com. I'll be happy to, to take those into consideration. Also, if you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can try to iron out some details and get that settled in. You know, give us some feedback if on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. It makes the show bigger, and it's not going anywhere. I'm going to record as many shows as I possibly can. If you want to follow me, on social media, I am at Ryan Perio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O on all social media platforms. You can follow me there. And you can check me out at ryanperio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened. And everything's kind of just in a, in a holding pattern. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 